I'm glad you found your way to the Your Vet Wants You to Know podcast for more information about how to care for your pet. The show is designed to be educational and entertaining, but not to give a specific diagnosis or treatment for your animal. That job belongs to your veterinarian who knows your pet and wants to talk to you about what's going on with them. I'm here to be a resource only. Thanks and enjoy the show. As a curious pet owner, have you ever taken to the internet for more information? Maybe you want to know why your pet is itchy and what you can do about it. Maybe you're frustrated about the ear infections. Maybe you're looking for ways to make veterinary care more affordable. Instead of wading through a sea of information that may not be reliable and in some cases may be harmful, here is what your vet wants you to know. I'm Dr. Brittany Lancelotti, board-certified veterinary dermatology specialist. Join me to get the information you're looking for to care for your pet. If you're curious about your pet, then your vet wants you to know. Welcome everyone to today's episode of Your Vet Wants You to Know. Today we're going to be talking about cataracts and I have a very special guest with me, Dr. Kristen Fisher. Dr. Fisher is a guide within the ophthalmology group of VetHive, which is a community for veterinary professionals where we learn and help to teach each other about our cases and how we can be better veterinarians. I am very excited for her to come on. She's got a ton of information about cataracts. So welcome and thank you for joining us today, Dr. Fisher. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to share my knowledge. I love talking about this with clients and pet owners and veterinarians and anybody who will listen. So I'm excited to (laughs) to share it here. Excellent. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background? How did you get into veterinary ophthalmology and what's your story in terms of your journey through veterinary medicine? So I knew my whole entire life that I wanted to be a veterinarian. I don't think as a child, I even knew that veterinary ophthalmology was a thing. But even when I was three years old, I I never wanted to be anything other than a veterinarian. And throughout vet school, I was exposed to all the different specialties and actually wanted to be an equine surgeon. And somehow along the course of my training in my fourth year of veterinary school, I was on my ophthalmology rotation and I discovered ophthalmology again and just fell in love with it. I loved that I was restoring vision to blind animals. I loved that I could still see anything that had an eyeball, which is really cool. Um, Anything from sea turtles to lions to horses. I still got to see plenty of horses and then primarily dogs and cats. But I loved that none of the disease processes that I was having to manage were imminently life-threatening. And it just really turned out to be the perfect fit for me. So after veterinary school at the University of Tennessee, um, I headed out to Colorado for an internship and continued to learn about ophthalmology out there before um, heading back to Tennessee, which is actually where I'm from to complete my ophthalmology residency, which I finished and became a board-certified veterinary ophthalmologist in 2012. And since that time, I've been in the state of South Carolina with my family with a practice called Animal Eye Care of the Low Country. And um, we have two full-time locations and three satellite offices. And I just love practicing ophthalmology. I still am just as passionate about it as I was when I started. And I have since also worked with lots and lots of rescue organizations and zoos and raptor rehabilitation centers. And I'm a specialty guide through the vet hive community, as you already mentioned. So I get to continue to educate veterinarians. And I actually recently also started a teleconsulting business that is geared towards helping family veterinarians 
treat pets in their own clinic when referral to a specialist is not an option. So I love to teach and help and educate whenever I can. And that's pretty much how I got where I am now. I'm so excited for you to come on and teach pet owners today. I'm really thankful because I know you do such a great job within VetHive and it's just so helpful to have someone with so much knowledge coming on and sharing it in a way that people can understand. Well, I love to do it. My staff always, when they're training new staff members, they say, follow Dr. Fisher around because you'll get a lot of information when you just hear her talk to clients. <laughs> so that's, um, that's, that's what I like to do. You mentioned the Raptor Rehabilitation Center. Tell me a little bit about working with raptors. Well, I'm actually quite terrified of birds, which is kind of funny because I spend a lot of time helping with the Raptor Rehabilitation Center. When raptors are properly restrained by people who know what they're doing, I find them extremely fascinating and they have really cool eyes. They actually have bone in the the sclera, which is the white part of the eye, which is very different than mammals. There's a, a large center for birds of prey, avian conservation center in our area. And you actually can't release birds that have significant vision issues. So it's really important, especially for raptors, to have good vision in both eyes. And so prior to release of these raptors that have come in from traumas or illness, they need to ensure that their vision is going to be adequate to be able to hunt in the wild. So um, they have me come out there a lot to assess these birds, one, to try to help identify causes of specific issues and help figure out how to best treat those, but then also to assess vision for the potential for re-release in to the environment. So that's really rewarding. And so for the pet owners who are listening, who may not understand that raptor doesn't mean a dinosaur from Jurassic Park, (laughs) what what type of raptors are you talking about? (laughs) So we actually see a lot of hawks and we also see a lot of eagles in this area. So they are federally protected. So you have to be really careful about what you do and how you treat these guys. And then we see a lot of shorebirds in my area too, because I'm near the beach and we see a lot of owls, but specifically the hawks and the eagles, they really require excellent vision. So they actually have to have normal vision from both eyes to be re-released. And then for owls, they actually have to have at least really good vision from at least one eye (laughs) before they can be re-released. So we're talking about the wild birds that you see flying around when you're out and about hiking or driving or exploring outside. That's really cool. And I love that you still get a chance to work with horses because they also have eyes and that uh, you spend some time riding horses. Is that correct? I do. I started riding horses when I was five. And that's part of how I continued to grow my interest in veterinary medicine and why I wanted to be an equine surgeon for so many years. And I competed for years and rode all through college. And then it became more of a hobby and continued to be something that I just really enjoy to do. So it's something that my daughter also, she just turned 10. She loves to do. And so we try to get out on the weekends or uh, whenever we can and, and ride together. And that's just a fun passion that we get to share together. That's really nice. And you mentioned you worked with rescue organizations. You've got a special story for us today about a specific rescue pup that you just worked with. Why don't you tell our listeners about yes. her? Yes. So I would love to tell you guys about Ethel. She is just the most adorable little scruffy terrier. She's around 25-ish pounds and she is a nine-year-old mixed breed that presented to us for evaluation for cataracts. And she 
entered into a rescue organization and she was really struggling to adjust to that because she was blind and she was very timid and very reserved, but still you could just tell she had the sweetest little soul and her cataracts just made her look like such an old lady. So she uh, came for evaluation for possible cataract surgery and we determined that we would be able to do that and the rescue organization raised the funds and we performed cataract surgery and it was very successful. So it was one of those cool opportunities that I get to see day in and day out where a patient or a pet or a rescue dog like Ethel comes in and they're timid and they're fearful and they're kind of feeling their way around or bumping into everything as they come in because they just can't see. And when she walked out of the hospital that afternoon, her tail was up and she was wagging her tail and her confidence had returned. She turned into this happy, outgoing, confident dog, and she's recently just been adopted. And so she's found a new home with owners that are dedicated to making sure that she continues to have excellent vision long term. And it really, I think, has just been great to restore her vision so that, number one, she could be able to see her environment and get around it, but also, you know, so that she can adjust better into her new home. She's going to be able to see who her new owners are and explore her environment. And I think it's really been life-changing for her. You know, as an added bonus, it took years off of her appearance. Um, She doesn't look like a little (laughs) old lady anymore. Now she looks like a young pup. (laughs) How satisfying and cool is that, that you can do that surgery and by the time they're awake and leaving the hospital, you see a totally different dog in terms of their personality. That's so awesome. It's one of my favorite things. We have clients that sit up front when they come back to pick their dog up from surgery and they, you know, sit there with their phone and their camera recording to see their dog come up. And it's just so cool to see how different they are. And people come in all the time saying, you know, you gave me my dog back and now they're able to play and they're chasing lizards on the back porch and all the things that they weren't able to do before. You know, dogs can have an excellent quality of life if they can't see. And there are plenty of conditions that we can't fix. But this is one of the things that when we can, it can just be so rewarding. Oh, that's so wonderful. You bring in tears to my eyes with these happy (laughs) stories. That's so nice. So let's talk a little bit about cataracts. What exactly are they and how are they different from a normal eye? So the lens is the part of the eye that develops a cataract. And a cataract is actually just when that lens turns white or becomes opaque. So you just can't see through it anymore. So the lens is a spherical structure and it sits in the middle of your eyeball and it's suspended there right behind your pupil. And its entire job is to focus light in the eye, kind of like the lens of a camera. And so that way the light is focused and it falls into place on the retina, which is in the very back of the eye. And then that information is sent to your brain and interpreted as vision. And so when that lens becomes opaque or cloudy and you can't get light through there to perform that focusing uh, mechanism, then it interferes with vision. And the lens is shaped kind of like an M&M or a Skittle. Um, I really like candy, but there are other people, (laughs) some people say a grape, but it um, sits right behind your pupil, like I said, and it's got a little capsule around it, kind of like the candy shell. And the cataract can actually be a white spot anywhere inside of that lens. So uh, a normal lens is crystal clear. And when you get older, the lens actually gets a little bit hazier. And that is just a normal aging process called nuclear sclerosis or lenticular sclerosis. That's the same thing that happens to us when we get older and we need reading glasses. So if you look at your dog or your cat and 
or your horse, <laughs> and you notice that their eyes are getting a little hazier and they happen to be older, but they still seem to see just fine, it could just be that aging change. But a cataract is when it actually is opaque or turns white, and then you can't actually see through it. And that's something that, you know, if the owner's not sure in terms of vision changes, the veterinarian can help to determine if it's just nuclear sclerosis or a cataract. And sometimes it can actually be kind of hard to tell that without specialized equipment. So a lot of family veterinarians will send you to a specialist or an ophthalmologist if they aren't sure. And some cataracts progress to be extremely vision limiting, like in Ethel's case. And some cataracts actually don't ever really progress and are kind of insignificant in the grand scheme of things. So your vet may not be able to predict that for you. And that's where a veterinary ophthalmologist or specialist may be helpful in a situation like that. And so why do these occur? There are so many different causes of cataracts. It's a really long list. The most common cause of cataracts is actually a genetic or inherited predisposition, meaning that your pet was just born destined to develop cataracts. It's just in their DNA. They got the genes from their mom and their dad, and there's nothing that you can do differently to prevent that or change that. So in that scenario, it can develop really at any age. We tend to think of people getting cataracts when they're older, but dogs with genetic cataracts often will develop those at a young age. And it kind of depends on the breed. Some develop them younger than others, and they don't actually even have to be a purebred dog to develop genetic cataracts because they can happen in mixed breed dogs as well. Cataracts are just genetically very common. So even in the mixed breed dogs, there's a possibility. Is there a certain breed where you see the genetic cataracts more common? We see genetic cataracts in a lot of the really common breeds, so golden retrievers and Labradors. We also see them in Boston Terriers and Schnauzers and Cocker Spaniels and Poodles. But there have been genetic cataracts reported in in so many different breeds of dog that it's really hard to list them all. So it's more in relation to the animal's family and the genes that have been passed on over generations. Yes, it is. And unfortunately, in most pets, there's not really a good blood test for that to find out if they're going to go on to develop something like that. And so the reason it's been so hard to get this out of the gene pool is because a lot of these dogs don't develop their genetic cataracts until they're older. So if they are breeding pets, they have already bred before they have a chance to develop their genetic problem. That's why it's so prevalent in the pet population. So what about other diseases that may put the pet at risk for developing cataracts if they don't have this genetic predisposition? That's a good question. The the second most common cause of cataracts, in dogs at least, is actually diabetes. So diabetes is an endocrine disease, and it's a problem where your blood sugar, your blood glucose is actually well above the normal range, and it's a problem with the animal's ability to produce its own insulin to regulate the blood sugar. And insulin is a hormone that actually helps keep your blood sugar level in a normal range. And so if you have a problem doing that, then your blood sugar stays really high. And that can actually lead to really significant cataract formation. In fact, most dogs with diabetes will develop cataracts, blinding cataracts within the first one to two years. And those cataracts can come on really quickly. You know, we think about 
our grandparents and great grandparents and whatnot, or, you know, whoever it is that we know of that had cataract surgery or going through surgery. And generally they're older people and they can still see okay, but they're going to have cataract surgery because their cataracts progress slowly over time. But in some pets, the cataracts can progress really, really rapidly almost overnight. And so in a diabetic patient, that is something that we are always concerned about because when that blood sugar is really out of whack, these cataracts can come on super quickly. You know, it's not uncommon for people to say they were seeing fine on Friday and, you know, by Saturday evening, they were running into the wall. And that must be very upsetting, not only for the pet owner, but for the pet as well, who has no understanding of what's going on. It's just all of a sudden they can't see where they are in their surroundings. It is. It can be very stressful. I I would say that it's probably harder (laughs) truly on the pet owner than it is on the pet just because they can't really comprehend what's happening completely. But it just breaks the owner's hearts to see their beloved pet getting stuck in the corner or running into things. And And it can be dangerous. I mean, we have pets that fall off of balconies and into pools and, you know, wander off and can't find their way home. So it can, it can be really hard for them to adjust, especially when they lose vision really suddenly. Yeah. So any sudden vision change should be considered an emergency and should be evaluated as quickly as possible. Yes, I would certainly agree with that. How about some other causes of cataracts? Let's talk a little bit about some of the things that may not be as common as the genetic predisposition or diabetes. Okay. So some pets are actually born with cataracts. So those would be called congenital cataracts. A congenital disease is something that you're born with. They're not necessarily genetic. Some of them are, but that would be if your pet was born with cataracts from the beginning. And that may be something that a breeder will pick up on or something that your family vet will pick up on at a very young age. And then the most common cause actually in cats of cataracts is inflammation inside of the eyes. And the term for inflammation in the eye is actually called uveitis. So uveitis over time causes cataract development. And so that really is why we see cataracts primarily, at least in clinical practice, in dog patients, especially the surgical type of cataracts. But we do certainly see cataracts forming in cats and dogs secondary to this inflammatory disease. And the inflammation in the eye can be caused by a whole host of different secondary issues. So that sometimes warrants even additional testing to try to look for the underlying cause of that. What about if there are problems in other parts of the eye? Are there certain types of cataracts that are formed because of problems with other structures in the eye? The retina is actually a structure in the back of the eye that is made up of a bunch of different layers. And it's kind of like what I would call the processing center within the eye. So when light comes into the eye and it goes through the lens, it focuses back on the retina. And when it hits the retina, that information then travels from the retina to your brain, and then your brain interprets that as vision. So the retina is one of what I would consider the most important structures inside of the eye as far as vision goes. And so there are several disease processes that can affect the retina, but there's a genetic disease or inherited disease called progressive retinal atrophy. And that is a disease that affects several different breeds of dogs and can actually affect cats. And in the very end stage of this retinal problem, where the retina degenerates over time, dogs and cats will often develop cataracts secondary to that. And the biggest concern there 
is that it's not just a lens problem. With most of these other issues, it's just a lens problem. And so if you can make that lens clear again, then you can actually improve vision. But if the retina is not working properly, making that lens clear again may not help improve their vision at all. So it can be really important to identify something like that before considering something like a cataract surgery for a pet. And then there are other things too that we didn't really mention like trauma. You know, if your dog has a penetrating injury to the eye and touches the lens, that certainly can cause it. And then nutritional deficiencies. You know, if a pet is born in a dumpster and they have to scrounge for food and they don't actually get normal nutrition at a young age, that can affect uh, the development of the lens and that can sometimes lead to cataracts. So there are lots of different causes, but uh, we touched on the main ones for sure. Dr. Fisher's given us some really great pictures of lots of different stages of cataracts and what eyes look like within those different stages. There's a link in the show notes to be able to check that out, or you can go to yourvetwantsyoutoknow.com backslash cataracts to see those images. So because there's so many different causes and because we want to make sure that the problem is just with the lens and not other parts of the eye, usually veterinarians are going to recommend some different types of testing. What do you talk to pet owners about in terms of figuring out what the underlying cause is and what the next steps are in terms of treatment? So as far as testing goes, a basic eye exam is something that your family veterinarian will do when you come in to see them for any eye problem with your pet, but especially if there's a problem with vision or you suspect cataracts. So in a basic eye exam, your family veterinarian is going to be trying to evaluate vision, how well your pet can see. So they're going to start that with something called a menace response, which is when they move their hand very kind of slowly towards the eye. And you try really not to like make any air move or you know, any sound or anything with that. You don't want to touch the animal, but you kind of gently come towards their eye in a non-threatening manner. But, but if the animal sees that, if your pet sees the hand coming towards their eye, they will blink in response to that. So that is a menace response. And that's one of the ways that we evaluate vision. We also can do it by just watching the pet navigate around the room. We also will use bright lights shining into their eyes directly to see if the pupil is moving. So when you shine a bright light in the eye, the pupil should constrict. And when there's not light, the pupil will dilate. So we want to make sure that that is an appropriate response in your pet because that can help indicate if the eye is otherwise healthy. And then there are other tests that we do to evaluate if your pet is making enough tears on the surface of their eye. Are they lubricating the the surface of their eye well enough? We can check the pressure in the eye. Uh, That's called tonometry. And so that looks for things like glaucoma, things that could affect vision or our ability to maybe restore vision. And then because we talked about cataracts having a lot of potential underlying causes, doing a really good physical exam on your pet and maybe doing some blood work to make sure they don't have something like diabetes creeping in so that you can figure out if there's anything else that needs to be addressed. And then prior to something like surgery for cataracts, there are tests that an ophthalmologist would do to really evaluate the health of the eye to really just be certain that if we go through that process, we're really going to have a successful outcome. So it sounds like the family veterinarian can do most of the initial evaluation and making sure that there's not diabetes, getting that under control if it is present before sending the pet over to see a specialist so that they can get a really good evaluation and talk about next steps in terms of treatment. Yes, that's exactly true. And I will say that 
there are plenty of family veterinarians that just really don't like to deal with eye problems. And that's okay. If your veterinarian does not feel comfortable making the diagnosis or doing the testing, or if they don't have some of these tests available in their clinic, that's okay. But they would recommend then probably following up with a specialist to kind of get a better handle on what's going on. Perfect. And so what are some of the options that pet owners have in terms of treating cataracts? And can you talk a little bit about some of the benefits and risks to each treatment that's available? Sure. So I guess I'll start with saying that not all cataracts progress to vision loss. Some of them are really small and they don't ever change. There are actually certain types of cataracts that form in certain breeds that pretty classically are insignificant and they just are small and they don't really limit the vision. And so we don't really do anything about that. Um, But there are some that we can tell even early on that are going to progress to vision decline. And then unfortunately, if a cataract does progress to vision loss and, and if it causes significant blindness, the only way to fix that would be something called phacoemulsification or cataract surgery. There are not any medications or eye drops that actually work to dissolve cataracts or prevent cataracts from forming. So I will go ahead and say that with confidence. There are a lot of things that you may come across on the market, you know, on the internet that claim to dissolve cataracts, but there is nothing that has been scientifically proven to do that. So this surgery is basically very similar to what happens in people. If you know anybody who's had cataract surgery, it's pretty much the same thing. I tell owners all the time that the biggest difference between cataract surgery in your dog and cataract surgery in you is that this does require anesthesia because no matter how sweet your pet is, they will not sit still long enough for me to do surgery inside of their eyeball. We actually make a little incision into the eye And then we make a little hole in that capsule and that allows us to get rid of that cloudy lens and essentially throw it in the garbage and put a new artificial lens in place to clear the window and restore vision. And we we use this machine to use a high frequency ultrasound energy to like break up that cataract and liquefy it and dissolve it and slurp it out of there. And then we put that artificial lens in place. And as soon as they wake up from anesthesia, the lights are back on and they can see again. So it can be really rewarding. Do you see a difference like when the animal's still coming out of anesthesia and their behavior and their awareness of their surroundings? Sometimes we do. You know, a lot of times if you've ever had a surgery of any kind, you know that time when you're like waking up until you get home and get situated is a little blurry <laughs> a lot of times. Um, and and so it, even in, if your vision's just fine, it's just the whole experience can be a little bit out of body, I guess, you know. So we don't really know because dogs can't tell us, but right. um, definitely it's fun to watch them, you know, before surgery. Oftentimes they're in their cage waiting for surgery. We do lots of eye drops in preparation for surgery. So we're dealing with them a lot. They're in and out of their kennel. But a lot of times they're sitting in there like looking at the back wall or they're, you know, just not interactive or they've got their tail tucked. And so when they wake up from anesthesia and we put them back in their kennel, they're sitting there alert and wagging their tail and watching everybody walk around back and forth. And it's kind of like you took their blindfold off and they're more engaged in their surroundings. So the best part though, is when they go back up to the front to see their owners when it's time to go home and they get to, you know, show off their newfound vision when they locate them as soon as they walk through the door and they've got their head held high. That's the best part. That's awesome. I love that. And then you also do the surgery in cats? 
So we do. I mentioned before that cats don't usually get genetic cataracts or diabetic cataracts, actually, but they sometimes develop cataracts secondary to inflammation in the eyes. Because of the inflammation inside of the eye, that actually can increase their risk of complications after cataract surgery. And so we don't do a lot of cataract surgery in cats just because of the reason that they develop the cataracts to begin with. But I have done cataract surgery in several cats who have traumatic cataracts or nutritional cataracts, or even what we don't really know, but there's no sign of inflammation. And we presume maybe it was a genetic or congenital thing. And I've had really great success rate with cats and cataract surgery. So it's not off the table, but I would say by and large, the most common pet that ends up having cataract surgery would be a dog. And you mentioned success. Do you have kind of like an overall success rate that you give owners when you talk about doing this procedure and whether or not they're going to get their vision back? I do. Um, You know, one of the things that I tell owners all the time is that your pet has a 100% chance of staying blind if we don't try right? There is no way to make it better if we don't try with surgery. But it is really important to know that even though in cataract surgery, we usually quote success rates of 90% or greater for long-term vision, that there are still potential risks with surgery. So in general, cataract surgery is very successful and we do usually quote success rates around 90%. But that still implies about a 10% chance that they could develop a complication after cataract surgery that could result in them losing their vision again. So all the tests that we do before surgery are geared at making sure that they are the best candidate for surgery that they can be. And if we find something on that pre-surgical testing that tells us otherwise, then we certainly talk about how that would affect that particular pet's success with surgery. But in general, if they are a good candidate for surgery, then most of the time they do really, really great. Um, Occasionally they can lose vision because of diseases after surgery, like detaching their retina or, or developing glaucoma, which is the term for elevated pressure inside of the eye. But generally I tell owners, you know, they have a hundred percent chance to stay in the way that they are. If we don't intervene, it's worth the risk for most of those people to go for it. Yeah, that's a great success rate in terms of being able to change an animal's quality of life dramatically. But I know there are some animals where they're not going to be good candidates for surgery, either because of the underlying disease process, or maybe they have other things that put them at higher risk for anesthesia. And maybe some owners might not be able to afford the surgery. Can you talk a little bit about those animals where surgery may not be an option? Of course. So it is important to know that pets can have an excellent quality of life without vision. I think they have a little bit more fun if they can see because they can go investigate (laughs) the noises and, you know, chase the ball and all of that stuff. But they do not have the same emotional attachment to their vision as we do. They don't think about, you know, oh, I'm never going to get to see the sunset again. They really do adjust so well to vision loss because number one, their environment is already relatively safe and protected and small. You know, they don't have to drive. They, they don't have to read email. (laughs) They, (laughs) they really need to be able to navigate their environment safely, their sense of smell and their hearing. And the fact that they stay within the confinement of your home usually makes it really easy for them to adjust in the chance that we can't restore vision. The most important goal is to be sure that the eyes do not become a source of discomfort or pain. So a cataract itself is not inherently painful. 
But a cataract, especially in scenarios where it progresses really rapidly or it's been there for a really long time, can cause inflammation in the eye. So in really chronic cataracts, we can see pets can develop glaucoma, which is elevated pressure in the eye, and that can be quite painful. And they can also detach the retina, which is a permanently blinding issue, but it's not necessarily painful. And then the lens can actually kind of break free from the little uh, attachments that it has inside of the eye, and it can move around inside of the eye. That's called a lens luxation. When the little ligaments that hold the lens in place start to break down over time, then the lens can start to wiggle about inside of the eye, and that can cause discomfort as well. So the most important thing if your pet has cataracts and cataract surgery is not going to be an option for them would be for you to just monitor them for signs of discomfort. So things like squinting or holding the eye closed, discharge from the eyes, whether it's tearing or like a more mucus-like discharge, if the whites of the eyes are more red, or if you notice just any significant change in appearance of those eyes, those would be a reason to have your family veterinarian evaluate your pet to figure out if they're comfortable or not. And I think that most of the time we're able to achieve comfort, even in in cases where we can't do cataract surgery, but that is always going to be our goal. And so what are some of the big takeaway points that you'd like pet owners to remember? I would say it's important to know that not all cataracts progress. Not all cataracts will be blinding. Not all cataracts will require surgery. But if they do progress, that there's something you can do about that potentially. And so having your pet evaluated by your family veterinarian and then potentially by a specialist veterinary ophthalmologist is going to be the best way to figure that out. And then if cataracts progress quickly, ophthalmologists at least will consider those almost surgical emergencies because when that happens, it can result in those secondary issues like inflammation in the eye and glaucoma, things that can actually prevent us from being able to restore vision successfully. So if you are concerned at all about your pet's vision or the cloudiness that's in their eyes, I would not wait until their appointment 10 months from now to bring it up. I would probably go ahead and try to to have your family veterinarian evaluate your pet to try to figure out what's going on. So that's great. There are um, really good resources available on the website for owners as well if they have more questions following the episode. Um, So the website's got great pictures before and after of Ethel and how cute she looks with her cataracts all gone. There's also a link to find a veterinary ophthalmologist there. If you go to yourvetwantsyoutoknow.com backslash resources, there is a link to be able to find a specialist in your area. Dr. Fisher, I want you to talk a little bit about your consulting service for those people who may not have a veterinary ophthalmologist in their region? Of course. So I started this teleconsulting business. It's called OptoVet Consulting. And we do have a website that we'll link and also social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook and, and whatnot. But it's geared towards helping your family veterinarian manage your pet in your location. So in their clinic to provide specialty guided care for pets that may not have the ability to see a specialist. And so I definitely believe that there is no substitute for being seen by a a veterinary ophthalmologist. But if you have an issue or your family veterinarian is evaluating your pet and they're not exactly sure what's going on or what to do, and you're not sure if you want to go be evaluated by an ophthalmologist, I potentially could be a resource for them to help guide them in making that decision. And so I started this consulting business because I spoke with a lot of veterinarians all over the country who said, you know, that's great 
I would love to have my patients seen in a timely manner, but the ophthalmologist in my area has a three month waiting list for new appointments and some things just can't wait. Or the closest ophthalmologist to me is six hours away and there's no way that my clients will drive that far on a regular basis. And so I have a really hard time managing these ophthalmology cases. And so I created the consulting business to try to help your family veterinarian manage cases in their own clinic with specialty guided care to give the pets that they're seeing the best possible outcome, whether it's just until they have a chance to get into an ophthalmologist or if seeing an ophthalmologist is not an option. That's great. So we'll have a link to OptoVet Consulting in the show notes as well as on the website. So if you want to bring that to the attention of your family veterinarian, they could potentially consult with Dr. Fisher to figure out what's going on with your pet. I like to end each episode with a segment that we call Scratching the Itch. This is designed to highlight something, whether it's a human interest story, a product, a website that just provides relief or makes you feel good. Hence, Scratching the Itch. Dr. Fisher, do you have a Scratching the Itch for our listeners today? Well, the ACBO, which is the American College of Veterinary Ophthalmologists, is kind of our parent organization for all of the ophthalmologists in the country that are board certified veterinary ophthalmologists. And every May, ophthalmologists all around the world actually volunteer their time and services to provide complimentary eye exams to service animals and working animals through this ACBO slash Epicure National Service Animal Eye Exam event. And so registration for this event actually happens in April. And then in the month of May, we will do free eye exams for them. So the goal there is to try to pick up on issues before they really cause a problem because some of these animals really have important jobs. Um, We see police dogs, police horses, military working dogs, guide dogs for the blind. It's so important that those dogs can see where they're going so that they can do their job. And then mobility assistance dogs that help people who have mobility issues navigate their world. Um, And, you know, we see animals that detect medical conditions. I have a dog that I see every year that is a hypoglycemia detection dog who went off to college with a student so that if they were having low blood sugar, they could detect that and alert them and seizure detection dogs. It's really, really cool to learn about these animals and what they're capable of. So this past year, actually, uh, we did the event and there were over 5,200 working animals evaluated by over 270 ophthalmologists across the globe. So America, Canada, Hong Kong, and, and even Puerto Rico. Um, That's so amazing. We just love it. Yeah, I love giving back in that way and really learning about some of these super cool jobs that these animals can have and being able to provide that service for them. And so if people want to learn more about that event to either help donate uh, and make that event possible or maybe get their service animal looked at, where can they go to find more information? So the website is actually www.acvoiexam.org. And there's actually also a link to that website on the other ACBO website, the general ACBO website as well. But if you work with an organization that has service animals, or if you have a a certified service animal, I would certainly encourage you to register for this because it's really cool. And you can find ophthalmologists in your area that are participating and set it up that way. That's awesome. I love that you participate in that. What a cool thing to do to give back to the community, but also to be able to work with these dogs that really make such a big difference um, in the lives of the, the people that they're taking care of. So thank you for doing that. Oh, you're welcome. I love it. I love any opportunity to give back and share what I can do uh, with people who 
who may not be able to find me otherwise. Well, you certainly gave a lot of information to pet owners today, and I think it was super helpful for everyone and really good places for them to go in terms of having that conversation with their family veterinarian and potentially seeking out a veterinary ophthalmologist to help their pet. So thank you again for coming on and sharing that information today. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And for everyone out there listening, I look forward to your next visit with your vet wants you to know.